So, jumping into today's text, I want to start off by saying that I might say something in a few minutes that may make some of you dislike me a little bit, but that's okay. I'm prepared for that. Um, But to soften the blow a little bit, I'm going to put my guns up and say I'm an alumni of Texas Tech and I support Texas Tech athletics, regardless, all things Texas Tech, but Texas Tech athletics, regardless if we're playing in the national championship game for basketball or if we're losing to Kansas on the football field. It doesn't matter. I'm there for it. I'm going to stay to the end and I'm going to watch to the bitter end and I'm going to stick out this football season no matter how it ends up. Um, And so uh, probably many of you also have sports teams that uh, you are a fan of, that you're fond of. Yes? Anybody here? You're lying because you came to 9.30 so you could get home to watch a football game. Come on, people. We all have sports teams that we like, yes? Hey, look at that. The battery comes out easily. As an effect of that, you may also have a sports team, or if you're not a sports person, there may be an organization you're a part of, a group you're a part of, or even just a university that you're affiliated to or that you went to that you're fond of. And as an effect of that, there may be a parallel sports team or organization or university that you maybe don't like so much. Yes, is that true? That's probably true. As Texas Tech, as a Texas Tech fan, pretty much anyone else in the state of Texas that also plays college athletics is someone that I, ha- I don't like very much, right? So I want to start start this off by saying that my my family came to West Texas from Mexico. My parents were born and raised in Mexico. They came here through California. And as an effect of that, being born in 88 and growing up in the 90s, I grew up a fan of the San Francisco 49ers. Don't hold that against me yet, because you're about to hold it against me. What that means, those of you who know professional football in the 90s, it means that if I'm a fan of the 49ers, it means that there's another team I don't like very much. But before I get there, I want to prove to you that I I was really, really, and truly a fan. My brother and I both had those starter pullovers. Does anybody remember those? Didn't matter what you did or how you moved, it would whoosh, 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 right? Everybody knew you were coming. You couldn't be a ninja in one of those things. And so we had the 49ers starter pullover. And and just to prove to you that even in the depths of their despair as a team, I was married in 2012, and someone gave me this as a gift. It's a San Francisco 49ers coaster. It sits on my desk at home. I support them, uh, though not really verbally until this year, because they're doing really good this year. But I'm, I, I am a fan of the San Francisco 49ers. As an, as an effect of that, I don't really like the Cowboys. Okay, I'm sugarcoating it. I really don't like the Cowboys, right? They had this big rivalry. And so I, I know I'm from West Texas. I was born here. I should, but I don't. I just don't. So please try. Try not to hold that, to, hold that against me. But it, it goes further than that. I don't just dislike the Cowboys. They're really the worst. And I'm sorry, Jose, our bass player is a huge Patriots fan, but they're even worse than the Patriots. Okay. For me, that's, that's where they're at. That's where they're at. They're the worst. And it's, it's, (laughs) I had a feeling this might happen. That's why go tech, right? Go tech. Remember the things we have in common. Amen. We have more in common than we have separating us. So it's worse than that. Their quarterback and their running back, Dak Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott, they're also the worst. I'm sorry, that's just how I feel. And their head coach, Jason Garrett, he's also the worst, and he's kind of one of the worst because he oversees everything that is anything to do with the team on the field. But there's one person amidst all that who is really the chief worst, if you will, and that is Jerry Jones. Jerry Jones is the chief worst for me. Now, that may be treating him a little bit unfairly, and, and, and that's, you know, that's okay. We're going to talk about that a little bit and understand that. So 
for me, Jerry Jones is the chief worst, but let's spend a minute talking about what I really know about Jerry Jones, okay? And I promise we're not, this whole sermon isn't going to be about Jerry Jones as a guy, okay? We're going to move on. Um, but let's spend a minute talking about who he is. Here are the things I know about him. And these are all things that I've either read about in the news or heard about, which 50% of may or may not actually be true, right? But here's the things I know. I know that he's successful by the standards of the world. Standards of the world. I know that he's wealthy. I know that he's a little bit eccentric. Um, I know that he owns the Cowboys. I know that he's an alumni of Arkansas, which may be another reason to dislike him. And I also know that he's been in the news for some things, some bad decisions he has made in the past. But that's really all I know about the guy. I don't know who he is as a person. I don't know his heart. I just, just know this kind of worldly facade of who he is. I know just enough to make these pseudo-educated assumptions about him, and I know just enough to make these pseudo-educated, to form these pseudo-educated expectations of him. You see, in, in today's gospel reading, Zacchaeus is the chief worst. He is the chief tax collector. So let's talk a little bit. Let's do the same thing we did with the old Jerry. Let's talk about what we know about who Zacchaeus is. We know a handful of things. We know he's a Jewish man who is also working for the Roman Empire, right? And he's working for the Roman Empire and living in Jericho, which is a large city, which means that as a tax collector, he's working in a very large center of taxation, but he's not just a tax collector. He is a chief tax collector. And that means a few things, too. So the way that tax collectors work in this era is they, uh, they, they purchase the ability to collect taxes for the Roman Empire. And then they go, they're, they're prescribed a certain amount. And they say, here's, here's your people. Here's your geographic area. Go collect these taxes. It's due to us. And then the way that tax collectors made a living is that they then tax, overtaxed, right? They overtaxed the people that they were assigned to tax, and then they lived off the profits. They passed along what they were supposed to and kept what was left, and that's how they made a living. Now, he was a chief tax collector, which meant that he also had other minions, right? Other tax collectors working for him doing the same thing. So he was just one cog in the pipeline of overtaxing, keeping profit, and passing it along. This is how Zacchaeus makes a living, and we also know from the gospel text that he is very wealthy. If he's very wealthy, then that means that he is overtaxing quite a bit. And, and back in, in Luke chapter 3, we see this moment where some tax collectors come to John the Baptist, and they're, they're asking him what they need to do to be baptized. And in, in verse 12, we read this. Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked him, Teacher, what should we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than the amount prescribed to you. I don't know if you're following and doing the math, but if they do that, then that means that they're effectively out of business, right? They don't have a way to make a living. They no longer have a way to make a living. And this is the system that Zacchaeus is working in as a chief tax collector, which if you're also doing that math, means that in his context and in his time and in his place, he was a bad person. That's how he was viewed. He was viewed as a bad person. Not just a bad person, he was an outcast. 
And he was an outcast in, on every level of society. Because over here you have the religious authority who would have viewed Zacchaeus as a bad person and an outcast because of what he does for a living, how he makes his money, and how he abuses of people and overtaxes them. And then on the other side of the extreme, you have just the, the general populace who also would have disliked him, thought he was a bad person, and seen him as an outcast because he's overtaxing them. He's abusing them in order to make a living and a very comfortable living for himself. Zacchaeus is an outcast on every level of the society and the context that he finds himself in. But I think in today's gospel and in some of, some of the stories leading up to today's gospel that Jesus is saying something about how we understand and how we see our world. Last week we had this, this parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee. And you have the tax collector who's on his knees seeking God's mercy and forgiveness. And then you have the Pharisee on the other side who, is, who in his righteousness stands there and says, well, you know, at least I know not as bad as that guy. And Jesus in this story begins to turn our understanding of how the tax collector, who the tax collector is, and his, the state of his heart on its head at the end of that gospel reading, he says, the tax collector went home justified. Two weeks before that, in the 17th chapter of Luke, we read the story of Jesus healing the 10 lepers, right? And they, he heals them and he sends them out. And the only one that comes back to, to show their gratitude, to thank Jesus for this great act of healing, is a Samaritan, an outcast, a foreigner in this land. And then a few weeks before that, we have the story of the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man, they both die. Rich man and Lazarus both die. Lazarus, we see, is elevated with Father Abraham and the rich man who knew and saw Lazarus here on earth but never did anything to help him to ease his pain is in Hades. See, church, Luke, Luke has been building towards something these past few chapters. And our God... The Father is calling us to something new. Jesus has in a very real way been modeling something new for us. And the Holy Spirit is shepherding us to something new. Our senses, our sight, our taste, our smell, our hearing, and our, church, our touch cannot be trusted anymore. The righteous assume a posture of humility and repentance while the proud, as an effect, ignore their need for God's mercy and diminish the gravity of sin in their lives. See, church, the old way of thinking and understanding the world and operating in the world isn't working anymore. That's what Luke, that's what God our Father is leading us to. We read in 2 Corinthians Chapter 5, starting in verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. Even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. A new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, 
God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. If anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. And we read in today's gospel, the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. It's kind of an interesting iteration of this in our, uh, in our pop culture right now. And I'm going to be honest with you, I don't really know much about this guy other than, like with Jerry, what I've read and what I've heard. But, uh, you know, there's this, I, I really want to encourage you to go home and to spend some time reading about this person because there's some fascinating things happening in his life and some reactions to his life at the moment. But there's, there's a man by the name of Kanye West that I don't know a whole lot about. But go home, read about him, and see how... Today's story of Zacchaeus really applies and overlaps with what he's experiencing right now. I don't know, I don't know his heart, so I don't know if this new place he's finding himself in is real or not. To me, it seems it is. But he has moved from this place of releasing a song some years ago that's called I Am God to seeking God's repentance and releasing an entire album this last week called Jesus is King. If that's not a story of repentance and God's mercy and grace, I don't know what is. I invite you to, I encourage you to go out and read more about that. You see, Jesus sees Zacchaeus for who he really is. He sees past that worldly facade, right, that we build, that that others build for us sometimes. Jesus sees a sinner. Yes, he sees a sinner. But he also sees, as he calls him in the gospel today, a son of Abraham, a child of God. Jesus sees in Zacchaeus a man seeking an opportunity to simply encounter Jesus. Jesus also sees in Zacchaeus a man who's willing to welcome Jesus into his own home, even though he didn't invite him. As a matter of fact, Jesus invites himself to Zacchaeus' house. My wife sent me the picture of a, of a doormat, a welcome mat the other day, and it simply says, did you call first, right? Is that not in our day, in our culture, how, how we kind of operate? You know, don't, don't knock unless you've called first. Jesus invites himself to Zacchaeus' home, and Zacchaeus welcomes him with open arms, joyfully. Jesus sees a man who will lay down what he's acquired in this world. Jesus sees in Zacchaeus a repentant soul. So when we dive a little bit deeper into the story, this interaction between Jesus and Zacchaeus, what we see is, is we see that Jesus is seeking Zacchaeus out. Now, it's a little confusing because we know the story starts out that Zacchaeus, Jesus comes into town, Zacchaeus starts running, and he climbs a tree, which is a pretty undignified act for a guy who's a chief tax collector, kind of on the top echelons of society, right? And he's running around all these people that are gathered. He climbs up a tree just to get a glimpse at this guy, Jesus. And even though Zacchaeus is running and seeking, it's Jesus that looks, stops and looks up at the tree and points to him and calls him out by name and says, Zacchaeus, hurry down from there. Come and talk to me. Jesus seeks him out. Jesus gives Zacchaeus a place to enter into repentance. Zacchaeus then offers up this grand gesture of giving away half of everything he has, and if he's defrauded anyone, paying it back four times over. And that's a great gesture for a very wealthy man. (laughs) But Jesus has one better in his bag, right? Jesus offers this even greater gesture of salvation. After Jesus gives him a place to repent, Jesus offers him salvation. And in verse 9 of today's gospel, we read, Today, Jesus says to Zacchaeus, 
Today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. You see, church, in a very similar way, Jesus sees us in the same way that he sees Zacchaeus. He sees into the depths of our heart, past the worldly facade of the, the worldly facade that we build or that others help to build for us. He sees into the depths of our heart. He sees, he sees the good stuff and the bad stuff all together. Jesus is seeking us out, seeking out to save the lost. Jesus gives us a place and a space to enter into repentance. And Jesus has paid the price and offers us this grand gesture of salvation in his name. See, it's easy for us, I think, to see ourselves in Zacchaeus. He's this broken person who's trying to figure it out. I've got a two-year-old and a two-month-old. That's every day for me. I'm a broken person trying to figure it out. But I also see myself in the crowd gathered around that sees this interaction between Jesus and Zacchaeus. And sometimes that's the harder version of myself to admit to myself. In, in verse 7 of today's gospel, we read, All who saw it, that is, Jesus and Zacchaeus' interaction, began to grumble and said, He is gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. I see myself in that. I see myself in that group of people. And I invite you to take a moment to consider who the Zacchaeus is, if you will, might be in your life, or what the Zacchaeuses might be in your life. You know, the things or the people or, or the stuff that we know just enough, to about, and just enough about to make these pseudo-educated assumptions about. And the, the things and the people that we know just enough, to about, just enough about to make these pseudo, to form these pseudo-educated assumptions of. The uh, Jerry Joneses of your life. For some of us, that might be wealthy people. For some of us, that might be poor people. It might be much more specific than that. For some of us, it might be culturally different people, those people that we don't understand. And not understanding something or someone can, can throw us into this continuum of, of not understanding, which then, if it goes unchecked, leads us to suspicion. And if that goes unchecked, leads us to fear. And if that goes unchecked, it can lead us to dislike and eventually to hate. And this continuum can continue, <laughs> hence the word. We can enter this cycle of not understanding something leading us to hate. And I want to be clear, fear can be a really good thing. Fear is a healthy reaction to a lot of things in life. But when we don't understand something and we don't dive into the particulars of why we don't understand it, it can lead us to this place of fear and this place of hate. For some of us, the Zacchaeuses of our life might be the people that we disagree with, especially when it comes to politics. You see, we, we live in a world where our politics are largely driven by ideology. And ideology, by and large, is this abstract set of ideas, right? That's by definition is what it is. And when we allow an ideology to inform 
and to dictate all of our decisions, all of our processes, and the way that we think and see the world, at some point, at some point, that ideology is going to run into a new problem, a new problem that is not equipped, that is not able to handle, and we have a breakdown. We have to be able to learn to dive into the particulars, like Jesus did today, to dive into the particulars of who Zacchaeus is, of the problems that we encounter in our lives. A lot of times, for me myself, the Zacchaeus in our lives is our own self. We at times may not think that we're worthy of God's mercy and God's grace. You see, church, if all I see and if all I know when I look at or think about Jerry Jones as a guy who owns the Cowboys, then I'm missing how God sees and knows him. When we see someone the way the world has programmed us to see them through the, through the lenses that we've been given by this world to see them, we miss the way that God sees and knows that person. When we see ourselves with the lens that the world has give us, given us to see and to understand ourselves and our lives, we miss the way that God sees and knows us. So I invite you to consider how God is calling you to see yourself. How God is calling you to see those around you and your world with new eyes, with His eyes. I invite you to consider how God is calling you to surrender who you are and what you do to Him for His glory. The places and the things where you find your worldly comfort and joy. I invite you to consider how God is calling you from your old ways to repentance and to receiving God's grace anew. You see, church, that's the point of this table that we gather in front of today. This table of grace. A table of God's grace broken and poured out for you that you might be made new into a new creation. And all that's required was that you love God and earnestly repent of your sin so that you might be made new in Him. For the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. Let's pray, church. Heavenly Father, we thank You because we know that You are indeed seeking us out. that you long to be in communion and relationship with us and that you are making yourself available to us. We thank you, God, because we know that when we come to you seeking your mercy, that we are redeemed by the power of your blood, by the sacrifice of the cross, we are made anew in you. We thank you for the gift of your love. We thank you for the gift of your eyes to see the world as you see it and see us. We thank you for the gift of your ears to hear the world as you hear it and hear us. And we thank you for the gift of your heart always showing us how to understand and to love this world and those in it the way that you love us. We pray these things in the name of the Father and of the Son.
of the Holy Spirit. Amen.